The Daily Tap is live for Tuesday. We are talking about the 10 most important Green Bay Packers for the 2022 season. We're talking about the best and worst things from the Badgers. 38 to nothing win over Illinois State. We'll also talk about the Brewers' bad weekend, but a bounce back on Monday. We will lastly talk about those who don't like college football and why I hate their guts. <laughs> you guys can find us all over social media, Tabby Nakag on Twitter, Tabby Nakag Sports on Instagram and TikTok. We're a little slow this weekend. Still had some stuff, but it was mostly reviews. Um, we're going to get that cooked up this week, so look forward to that. Um, so we'll have that rolling. Um, also, make sure that you are rating and reviewing our podcast, whether it's on Apple, whether it's on Spotify. Make sure that you are subscribed if somehow you are not. And if you are, you've done all of those things, if you've checked all of those boxes, which I know a lot of you haven't, uh, make sure you're sharing with your friends. Make sure you're telling everybody what we have going here. I would really appreciate it. Sorry for the lateness of this podcast. Um, hopefully not trying to get this out. I actually overslept. My dog. I will blame my dog. This is a dog ate my homework. My dog woke me up early. Um, I was not happy about it and slept through. I do think I'm going to get an alarm clock though. Um, I'm at the point now where I have this just trouble uh, in terms of waking up. I start a little later with my day job. Um, so I think I'm buying an alarm clock. Like I think that's just that. Like I'm just gonna plug in an alarm clock. I think that's how I gotta do it. Like if I gotta go old school and maybe this is a Chuck's Corner for another day, but it's just amazing and how, how bad I am at waking up as I used to be pretty good at it. And suddenly it's just eluded me. So we'll get to that. Um, if it sounds a little different too, by the way, I have my headphones plugged in. We have a lot of construction going on outside. So I didn't want you guys to hear that. So I tried to keep the noise in. If you like it, um, let me know. Hit me up on social. We'll be happy. Uh, before we get going, really quick, uh, our schedule is probably going to be a little bit wonky just all together. Um, this is my last like clean week. I'm moving into a new house uh, starting on Friday of next week. I don't know if there will be pods every day. I hope to be. I will try to keep you updated on social. Uh, but basically, yeah, there could be some, let's just say, delays. There could be some days where I just don't pod because I don't have the time. Um, but I'm going to try my best. I'm going to try my best to keep keep us podcasting, keep the lights on. Obviously, with Packer season, Badger season, going with the Brewers making a final you know, chase to the wild card. I think you guys need me. I know you need me. So I'm going to try my best to keep pumping out podcasts. Also too, uh, with the Packers, we will try to react right after the games. Uh, that is sort of my goal for you. So with the Packers having the 325 game, we're probably gonna try for a seven o'clock pod and then we'll have something up by eight o'clock. So you have something ready to go uh, that night so you can listen to it while you watch Sunday Night Football or first thing in the morning as you drive into work. So yeah, we'll have all of that, but let's talk about the 10 most important Packers. More to come on all of that, obviously, but let's talk about the 10 most important Packers for the 2022 season. The Green Bay Packers kick off their season on Sunday afternoon against the Minnesota Vikings. I think there is a ton of anticipation for this game. We will talk about storylines later this week about that game itself as we get ready for week one. I think it's going to be very exciting. Um, I, I think starting out against a divisional opponent is scary a little bit because you lose that game, you lose a game in the division. But if you win that game, you can establish yourself as the Kings of your division, which the Green Bay Packers have been for the last few years. But it's not all about week one. Even if Green Bay stumbles, trips on their dick, and loses game one, there's still another 17 of them left, or I'm sorry, 16 of them left 
and Green Bay will have time, right? So it's not like it's not worth freaking out over. I don't. I know you guys will. I know you guys will lose your shit if the Packers lose to the Vikings. It's a tough place to play. The Vikings have been very good at home. Um, they will kind of finally have full home field advantage, you know, with you know masks off, everything else. Remember, like Delta variant. Every the fans were packed last year, but. There were still people who were, you know, kind of concerned about everything. Everybody's going to be back. It will be a tough place to play. But these guys, these 10 most supported Packers, are going to contribute not only week one, but at the end of the year when it comes to playoff time and hopefully a Super Bowl. So we rate these from 1 to 10. We'll start with the top, and then we'll go all the way to 10. We have a couple honorable mentions as well. We'd love to hear your list. Feel free to shoot that over to me on social, whether it's tapping the keg on Twitter Kevin Keg Sports on Instagram. Um, I think everybody's list will be different. Um, I always say this about lists: like it's my list, it's not your list. Um, so I'm sure some somebody's list will be completely different than mine. But this is the list that I have for you guys. Number one is Aaron Jones. I think Aaron Jones has a very important season ahead of him. Some people think that Aaron Jones can be the number one wide receiver of this team, even at the running back position. I don't know if I agree with that entirely. I think there is a good chance that Aaron Jones could have a massive season, but I don't know if I would call him the number one wide receiver. I think I need to see it first. I think I need to see Aaron Jones, you know, catch five to six balls a game and really showcase that side of him, even though I know it's in him. Like I know Aaron Jones can be that guy, but can Aaron Jones really be Alvin Kamara? That's basically what you're asking. Like, can he be peak Alvin Kamara? The wear and tear on Aaron Jones is concerning. Aaron Jones has had injury issues throughout his career. Uh, that has been a problem for Aaron Jones. It just has. Like we can't can't avoid it. And if the guy is getting more touches, more targets, will that lead to potential more injuries? Or will Green Bay do enough to kind of load manage it? Green Bay, with the addition of AJ Dillon, they've done a good job of keeping Aaron Jones on the field. There's been less injury concerns with. A.J. Dillon there, but we've still seen Aaron Jones miss some time. So I hope that Green Bay is able to do that. I do worry that if Aaron Jones goes down, while A.J. Dillon is a formidable backup, there is not much left on the bone. I know Tyler Goodson has some Jones-like stuff. Like his raw score is the same. And if you're unfamiliar with raw score, it kind of measures like all your intangibles. Like it's the off the field, not necessarily off the field, but like your athletic performance basically. So it is kind of off the field. It's just like, how are you as an athlete? Like, so Tyler Goodson is the same type of athlete as Aaron Jones. But again, do I trust Tyler Goodson the same way as I trust Aaron Jones? No. I think Aaron Jones is the most poor packer this season. Um, and yeah, the health thing is a big concern. And can he be a legitimate four to six, you know, pass catches the game? Can he be the Alvin Kamara of this team? I think there's a good chance. Um, and I think we'll see it, you know, week one, week two. I think there's going to be a focus. I had a friend yesterday in a fantasy draft be like, I have no idea what this Packer offense is going to look like. And I actually agree with that. Um, and I think Mitch and I will talk about that with storylines um, when we, him and I get together to do Tapping the Keg this week. Because yeah, I, I do really believe there are there are some thoughts there where I'm like, well, who what what really does this look like? I think there's a fascination with how this Packer offense will look. And I think the other question too is like, will this Packer offense look the way they do in September as they do in October? Like, could we see a different offense come, you know, late October than we do in early September? As for number two on the list of most important Packers, I have Jair Alexander. I think Jair having a big year this year is very important. First of all, he got paid, right? 
I think Packer fans and Wisconsin fans in general get very touchy when guys get big contracts. Because once guys get big contracts, they expect them to perform. Now, that's obvious, but, you know, injuries happen. You know, Jair could run into a helmet or something like that and break his hand and be out for a couple days. And it's like, he always gets hurt. And it's like, well, that was kind of just a dumb injury. It was a freak injury and it happens. But yeah, Wisconsin fans hate when guys get paid. They just can't, they can't wrap their brains around it. I really don't know why, honestly. I think it's just one, I think it's just the way we are as a culture here in the state of Wisconsin. But regardless, Jairz has an important role this year. He's a number one corner. He's a lockdown corner. The snowfly zone, as I think it's being called, the Packer secondary, can flourish with Alexander, Rasul Douglas, and Eric Stokes. And those guys could make one of the best tandem, the best trios, not tandems, best trios that we've seen really since the Legion of Boom days. Like that's how good this secondary could be for the Green Bay Packers. And Jair Alexander might not necessarily get Defensive Player of the Year votes, but we've seen guys go on complete islands after week one. I think there's going to be a lot of talk about how Justin Jefferson has a slow start to the season because Jair Alexander is absolutely in his jockstrap the entire game long. Jair has shown himself to be a top corner and he got paid like one and now it's on him to perform and it's on him to stay healthy. And Losing Jair, similar to Aaron Jones, would be, I wouldn't say catastrophic because they were able to survive that one last year, but the Packers don't have a ton of corner depth and they would need to get creative from there. And they've done it before, but I, I think when you give a guy that much money, you would hope that he stays healthy. And if it's not a freak injury like the hand thing we talked about, then it gets even worse. Like, did we just pay a guy who's going to spend a ton of time on injury reserve? So yes, we'll see what Jair can do. I think there is a big season ahead of him. I think he's going to have a really good year. Seeing with the defense, number three is Rashawn Gary. I think Rashawn Gary can be a defensive player of the year. Uh, there's not the value that there was to bet that. I think it was like 90 to one uh, to start the preseason. And now I think it's like 30 to one or something like that. So I guess there is still a little bit of value there. But Rashawn Gary can be an absolute wrecker um, in the backfield. And he, I don't think it's unreasonable to think Rashawn Gary can have 15 sacks. The Packers nailed the Sean Gary pick, just in general. And as long, you know, obviously if he doesn't stay healthy, sure, whatever. But like the Packers got it. Like the Packers took a lot of shit for taking Rashawn Gary at the number 12 spot because Rashawn Gary had not necessarily shown that potential in college. And he was a top recruit and he was just this absolute freak and it never, you know, showed through on the football field. And the Packers believe that Rashawn Gary could get to that level with a little bit of coaching, with a little bit of guidance, and he's there. He's also showing himself as a young leader, kind of a leader of that defense, even in year three. It kind of reminds you a little bit of Clay Matthews, right? And what Clay Matthews was for the Packers in the 2010 Super Bowl year, I think you could have a similar year with Rashawn Gary. I am very high on what Rashawn Gary could do. And I think he's going to make it really hard on the quarterbacks of the NFC to get the ball out on timely manners because I don't know if there are a lot of deep, a lot of offensive tackles that can hold down Rashawn Gary for an entire game. Moving on and moving back to the offense, I have number four is Alan Lazard. So we talked about Aaron Jones being wide receiver one. If Aaron Jones isn't wide receiver one, it's Alan Lazard. And Alan Lazard has a very important role to play. Aaron Rodgers believes in Alan Lazard. Aaron Rodgers' buddy is Alan Lazard. Him, Lazard, and Robert Tunyon are very close. And because of that, I have a lot of faith in what the Green Bay Packers can do 
out of the wide receiver position. If Aaron Rodgers believes in Alan Lazard as much as he does, which I think he's in almost the Jordy, maybe more of the Jordy category than the Devontae category. He loved Devontae, but Aaron Rodgers coming in with a shirt, I guess, yesterday in practice that had Rodgers, Lazard, 23, make the Packers great again. When you have that shirt right there, that to me says everything you need to know, right? That says everything you need to know about Rodgers' confidence in Alan Lazard. I don't think it's fake. I don't think it's unwarranted. He believes that Alan Lazard can propel and exceed to this next level. And now Alan Lazard it has an undisclosed injury. I think he's just, I don't know if he's sick. I don't know if there's something that he did dumb, like, I don't know, slipped in the shower or something like that. Like, he was on the sideline running. So it wasn't like Alan Lazard wasn't working out yesterday. He was you know, going through it. So it's not like it's a serious injury, I don't think. Um, so Alan Lazard can definitely, definitely have, I think will play this week. I'm not worried about it. And if he does, he doesn't, I still think the Packers are going to be all right, even though I do find Alan Lazard's role important to the Green Bay Packers, because it basically is establishing yourself as a number one wide receiver. And in a lot of ways, it takes pressure off the rookies, right? It takes pressure off Christian Watson. It takes pressure off Romeo Dobbs. And I, I actually think they didn't make the list on the top 10. A little spoiler alert. But like, I just don't think it. you put that sort of onus on them. They're rookies, right? You can't expect too much. Like, You can't expect them to be this 600 to 800 yard receiver. Now, if George Pickens goes off for, for the Pittsburgh Steelers, I think, yeah, there'll be a lot of questions for the Packers. But there were a lot of red flags about George Pickens. Just remember this. Like I, I'm, not, I'm not even trying to get ahead of this because that's I know what, what I'll get accused of. You'll be like, oh, Charlie, you're getting ahead of Christian Watson not being as good as Pickens. Look, Pickens had a knee injury. Pickens also you know, had some character issues. There was a lot of immaturity there. Obviously, with a guy like Mike Tomlin, I think those can go out the window or he also knows how to manage them. Guy coached Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown for almost a half decade. So if he's able to do that, I think he's able to take an immature kid out of Georgia and make him into something. So I think the Packers, you know, they don't necessarily take chances on red flag guys and they pass on Pickens for Watson. And I think in the end it will work out, but I don't know if this year it will work out. But yeah, back to Lazard, I, I think really his importance is being that reliable guy for Aaron Rodgers and not making, you know, it all on the rookies to perform, especially early on. Like I think... Once we get into November, then I, I kind of expect more from Watson and Dobbs. But in these first eight weeks, I think Alan Lazard is closer to like one or two. Um, but as the year comes out and water finds its level and these rookies become less rookies and more like, you know, rookies and a half, then I think Lazard's role is a little bit decreased. But yes, I, I do think the importance of Alan Lazard is right there. Number five is David Bakhtiari. David Bakhtiari is the best left tackle in football when he's healthy. The key term in there is when he's healthy. Bakhtiari, you know, has had a brutal knee injury. All ACL tears are different. Any doctor would tell you that. I know that there's a lot of consternation from fans, and I think some don't understand why, you know, Elton Jenkins and Robert Tunyon could be back week one, and it took David Bakhtiari literally, what, two years to kind of get himself back to normal. I think that's all based on the fact that knee injuries are different. Knee injuries are not going to be the same. But Bakhtiari looks ready to play week one, which is a huge lift for the Packers. And it looks really like the Packers could have all three guys back. It looks like Elton Jenkins could be back. It looks like Tunyon could be back. It's like 
they are going to have full squad week one. And it's kind of like son of a bitch. They knew they were going to be ready week one and they were just holding that in. You know, I, I saw Pete Bukowski right before I logged on talk about how the Vikings are being secretive with their coaching staff, which is funny because it's like Kevin O'Connell as is part of the Rams tree, as he points out, and Ed Donatel has been in the NFL forever. So it's like, how secretive can you really be? It's kind of, the Packers actually were that way because I think no one knew if we were going to get Bakhtiari, if we were going to get Jenkins, if we were going to get Tunyon, and now it seems like we could get all three. And Bakhtiari being that anchor for Aaron Rodgers, I think just gives Aaron Rodgers more confidence. There were a lot of stats that Aaron Rodgers struggled with pressure last year, and I thought those were kind of Fugazi stats because it's like, okay, he didn't have David Bakhtiari. Like, I think Aaron Rodgers is much more comfortable under pressure with David Bakhtiari on his left side, with Elton Jenkins on his right side. I also think Aaron Rodgers doesn't get pressured as much when Bakhtiari and Jenkins are in the lineup. I, I would I would love to look at pressure statistics with those guys in there without and with those guys without. So I do think that that's kind of pseudo-fraudulent, and I do think Aaron Rodgers, you know, will see those pressure stats go back up with the help of David Bakhtiari. So yes, I I think Bakhtiari is going to have a big year. I I hope he stays healthy. I hope that it's not fool's gold that we're like, hey, he's on track to play. And then it's week two and Bakhtiari is questionable with a knee injury. I hope that it's sustainable. I hope it's long lasting. And I hope there's not a thing that continues to plague him throughout his career. Number six, Quay Walker. I know we said about offensive rookies where we're like, I'm not putting him on the list. I am putting a defensive rookie on the list. If Quay Walker's running with the ones, he should be on the list. Uh, I think Quay Walker, you know, having sort of a breakout year is on the table. I think that what the regression of Devondre Campbell, which I think some people are expecting, I think that Quay Walker could make up for that regression. I think that's what the Packers, that's kind of why I think the Packers drafted him, honestly. I, I think they saw what Campbell did. I think the Packers understand that Campbell might have had maybe his best year of his career and they might not see it again. Now, Grant, they did pay him. But remember, you know, NFL contracts aren't real. Even though it's five years, $55 million, there's ways for the Packers to get out of that contract. And I think Quay Walker is there to kind of mitigate it. Now, maybe Campbell has another great year. And then you have basically the two best inside linebackers that Green Bay has ever had since running the 3-4 system. And yes, I do think Quay Walker can have a real impact and be that kind of guy to stop sort of the the flat runs, to stop Justin Fields from scrambling, which you know has plagued the Packers in the past, or to stop like Delvin Cook getting loose on the outside. I think that's where you're going to see Quay Walker's impact. And I, I think this is going to be a really good year for Quay. And I think he can have a really good year. And the nice thing, I guess, too, about it, even if Quay doesn't live up to expectations, you have Chris Barnes back there ready and willing I think Chris Barnes is more of a you know run-stopping guy, and you use Quay on third downs, which again could be fine. Like that could end up being his role this year, and next year it could be a little bit more. But I'm high on Quay Walker. I think Quay Walker will have a good year. Number seven is Darnell Savage. Uh, Darnell Savage had a bad year last year. I think Darnell Savage did not have the year that he wanted last year. I think there were too many times where he got caught up if he was going to stop the run or he was going to defend the pass. And I think Darnell Savage needs to get back to what he was in 2020. I thought he had a really good year in 2020 and then took a step back this year. That happened, that or last year, that happens with the guys, right? And this is an important year for Darnell Savage. I think his contract is up or it's his fifth year. Um, so this is going to be a good year for Darnell Savage to show himself as a player for the Green Bay Packers and really make that secondary 
that much better. You already have the corners, which we talked about. You have Adrian Amos, who has who's had a really good career as a Green Bay Packer, underrated, honestly, career with what he's done as as the free safety of the Green Bay Packers. And then you have Savage. And so Savage is in his fourth year. Um, you know, he should he should really be hitting that. He has one more year left on his deal before becoming an unrestricted free agent. Um, so he has a seven, he gets paid $7 million next year. So this is kind of the start where if Savage were to have a big year this year, would Green Bay then restructure and give Savage a brand new deal? I think that is a guy that they will look at as a potential extension and this year will decide it. And if we've seen the trajectory of a lot of Packers throughout really our lifetime, right? Savage should come through and have a massive year for Green Bay. Number eight's Aaron Rodgers. So you're like, wow, you went all this way without Aaron Rodgers. Here's the thing about Aaron Rodgers. I expect Aaron Rodgers to have a good year. I don't think Aaron Rodgers, I don't worry about Aaron Rodgers. I would say that out of the seven guys that I listed, I have slight worries or I think that they're going to level up. Where does Aaron Rodgers have to level up? Like Aaron Rodgers has won back-to-back MVPs. I don't know if there is a, a real area where I need Aaron Rodgers to get to this brand new level. Like Aaron Rodgers has been great forever. Um, and since sort of the Jordan Love draft pick, what, say what you will, Aaron Rodgers has turned it on. And it, he's kind of felt found himself again in the latter part of his career. And now, as we talked about on Tabby the K a couple weeks ago, he's in the respect era. And everybody respects Aaron Rodgers. And it's not like it was where people were like, oh, this guy isn't even a top 10 quarterback. It, that, that shit's long gone. And Aaron Rodgers has shown himself to be a vital part. And I think this is just a formality putting him at eight. Number nine is A.J. Dillon. I think with Aaron Jones's importance as the most important Packer, I think A.J. Dillon has to be there in case Aaron Jones goes down. And Aaron Dillon's going to be the thunder to Jones's lightning. I think Dillon can have an awesome year just as well as Jones. Like I think they can be one-two. Honestly, like it's it's going to be really special and really fun. I think they're going to do a lot of a lot of interesting things with Jones and Dillon. Like one of the things that I I'll mark as a storyline is how many two back sets are we going to see where Jones and Dillon are both in the backfield or and running shotgun where it can either be a give to Jones or it could be a give to Dillon and really work on confusing defenses. I would not I will not be freaking out if Dillon starts slow against the Vikings or traditionally pretty good against the run I do think there are going to be moments for Dylan to get loose and he's going to have his day and also he might just be a battering ram and it might not even matter and Dylan's your closer Dylan's your guy you use in the fourth quarter you grind down defenses and that's what Dylan can do for for the Green Bay Packers lastly it's Kenny Clark at number 10 again another formality pick like I, I think Kenny Clark's great I think that Kenny Clark could have an even bigger year uh, just because you have guys like Jaron Reed. Dean Lowry was underrated last year and how good he was. You have Devontae Wyatt, who I don't think is necessarily at the top of the list. He could be in an active week one. I think that would be a huge surprise, but it sounds like Wyatt's kind of struggling, which would be a, a bit of a concern just considering his age, right? It's not like I'm like, oh, he's young. Like he has time to develop. It's like, no, no, no. This guy's 25. Like he needs to be ready to go. And if He's not necessarily, you know, flourishing. That's a slight concern, I think, for the Packers. But we're not there just yet. But yes, it should free up Kenny Clark. 
to have an even bigger year. Um, he's really done well against the Minnesota Vikings. So it would not surprise me if Kenny Clark starts really strong this year and kind of grows from there. I, I, I love Kenny Clark. I think he's going to have a really good season. Some honorable mention guys that I just worth mentioning, Robert Tunyon. I think him being back can be huge for the Green Bay Packers. But again, I'm not trying to put expectations too high on a skill position guy coming off an ACL. I think Zach Tom has some importance as the right guard position. Could make Green Bay even better um, inside in, the, in their interior where I thought Royce Newman was a weak spot for Green Bay. And then lastly, Mason Crosby. Does he still have it? Is he able to kick 40 to 50, you know, 50 to 55 yard field goals? I Those kickers, man, at some point they get too old. We saw with Adam Vinatieri. We've seen it with others. I just worry at some point that the rubber's going to hit the road for Mason Crosby. And so I am a little bit concerned about that, especially since he hasn't played at all uh, this preseason. I, I just worry heading into heading into Minnesota, will Mason Crosby be ready to go? And that's that's a big concern. And they, they're going to need that out of their special teams. So again, let me know if your list is different. I'd love to hear it. Um, hit me up on social, tapping the keg on Twitter, tapping the keg sports on Instagram. And we'll talk about the 10 most important Packers uh, if you guys have your own list. Moving on to the Wisconsin Badgers, the best and worst things from the Badgers 38-0 victory over Illinois State. Even if the Badgers lose, we will always start positive. We will start with the best. Um, I John Torchio uh, set the tone with that interception. Uh, 100-yard interception, took it straight to the house. Illinois State was ready to go up either 7-0 or 3-0. And Torchio picks it off, runs it back for a touchdown. And the, that was sort of the start of it all for the Wisconsin Badgers. Torchio is a very important player on that defense. He's kind of the glue, I think, that holds it a lot together. Herbig, probably the best defensive player on that team. But Torchio, to me, seems like the glue guy. And he had a sack in this game. Like He's just a guy making big plays. And we talked on the podcast last week with Mitch about how Hunter Waller, who we're going to touch on in a second, you know, could be that Jim Leonard guy, but maybe it's Torchio. Maybe it's Torchio that is more like uh, Jim Leonard and could have that Jim Leonard-like season. Um, so yes, I'm very high on what I saw from John Torchio and definitely a guy that I think can compete, you know, with anybody in college football. And I, I realize it's like, okay, Caucasian safety, how is he really going to do against a Smith of Jibba or any of the guys from Ohio State? I, I get that, but at the same time, I do think, you know, you're going to see him more on those tight ends. Can he compete with a guy like Michael Mayer, for example, in Notre Dame? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think he can. And yeah, Torchio was was really special in this one. And to me, was the player of the game. Grant Mertz had a very efficient day. 14-16, 219 yards of passing. Uh, you know, there wasn't much needed, right? Uh, it was not necessarily a day where you needed Grant Mertz to be special. But the fact that Graham Mertz didn't make any mistakes, the fact that Graham Mertz only had two incompletions says a lot about what Graham Mertz looks like year three. Uh, he also averaged 13 yards per pass, which is pretty good. So it wasn't like he was exactly dinking and dunking down the field. Now, Chimray DK's 74-yard screen pass, you know, kind of, you know, amps that up a little bit. But at the same time, like, you look at all the guys that caught multiple passes, they all averaged over 10 yards a catch. So again, to the point of it, it's like Mertz was not dinking and dunking by any shape of the imagination. And I think that is sort of encouraging going forward. And watching Bobby Ingram's system and kind of Bobby Ingram getting comfortable and working with Mertz, I think you're seeing it on full display. And I really liked what I saw from Graham Mertz. I think Graham Mertz 
can be successful. I think that, I, as I said, these first three games are going to be very important for how the development goes. And he got a raw deal last year. You could argue he got a raw deal in, in the COVID year. So is this finally the time for Graham Mertz? This is step one. We'll see how he does against Washington State this week. Braylon Allen didn't look like he lost any sort of a step. Uh, he had the 96-yard run. Uh, he rushed for 150 yards, well, 148. Uh, average 10 yards a carry. Obviously, that 96 is going to help that out. But Braylon Allen looked like the battering ram that we saw last year. Uh, it does not look like a sophomore slump is on the precipice. Um, we talked a little bit about how the Badgers did a good job at managing Braylon Allen's carries last year and I think that at least shows this year, this year again right he only had 14 carries in this game you didn't need a ton from Braylon Allen Ches Malusi had 10 uh, Julius Davis had six uh, Grandero had two uh, so like they definitely made sure that Braylon Allen wasn't getting a ton of carries even in the game in a game that didn't necessarily matter and I wouldn't say matter but it's kind of preseason-esque and so they made sure that Braylon Allen was you know, kind of in check there. And I really like that. And I really think that is a good thing for the Badgers going forward. And I, I do think that Braylon Allen is going to, you're going to kind of see that as the weeks go on before Big Ten season. Then I think once Big Ten season starts, you'll see more of a reliance. But also too, I, I do think the Badgers are in a different era and it's not just give the ball to Ron Dane 30 times. I don't think you'll see Braylon Allen with 30, 30 carries in a game. I'd be surprised. Especially with how Malusi, I think, is a competent back. Like, I think if Malusi was a starting running back, do I think the Badgers would be better? No. But do I think they would be that that far off? Eh, maybe. I don't know. I, I think Chez is all right. Like, I, I just, I don't, I think Braylon Allen's very good. I think Chez can, could right the ship and help him out. I also think Julius, Julius Davis is kind of underrated. And I think he's a guy kind of looming in the wings. He's also similar in Allen's size, both kind of battering rams, which we've used a lot. Like, you could always do that with us, by the way. This is kind of a side tangent. But, like, it's kind of like Pee Wee Herman. You know, Pee Wee Herman used to have, like, the word of the day, and, like, people go crazy when the word of the day. Like, sometimes I get hung out on a word. Battering ram is the one I've seemingly got hung up on. All right, other best. Jordan Turner, I thought, was a nice surprise. The sophomore inside linebacker. He had four tackles, one sack, two tackles for losses. thought Jordan Turner played really well in this one. Uh, it's a great debut for him in the inside linebacker position as he's trying to replace Leo Chanel. Again, it's Illinois State. I get that. But at least you show something there and show that maybe there's some real talent there at the linebacker position besides Herbig, which I'm not surprised. Uh, the, great, the Wisconsin Badgers have been so good in the front seven for the last, what, what half decade, if not more. I think Keanu Benton, obviously, you know, creating that those lanes for Jordan Turner obviously helps as well. From a worse thing, uh, Hunter Waller down with leg injury. He's at least going to miss this week. Uh, Paul Chris seemed to think it could be more. Um, we'll see what happens with the injury report. That It's a little different than pro football, and they're able to you know, have sort of a spaced-out approach and not necessarily say right away if a guy's going to miss the season. Sometimes they announce it like the guy for LSU that celebrated and got a knee injury. He tore his ACL. Um, and Hunter Wohler, who knows? And the Badgers keep that close to the vest. So hopefully it's just a couple weeks. You need that him back for Ohio State. And if you don't get him back for Ohio State, like I, I think that could be a real concern. Riley Malman also went down with an injury. Uh, we'll see how that goes. Again, I mean, Washington State's a team you shouldn't sleep on, but it also is your 17-point favorite. So you should be able to take care of business with that. 
and if you need to get a guy another game of rest, then that's what you do. Make sure that they're ready for the Big Ten season. There was a slow start for the Badgers altogether. They were a little sleepy out the box with both offensively and defensively. They were ready to be down, you know, 3 nothing or 7 nothing before Torchio. Uh, that has to be cleaned up. You can't start slow like that against good teams. Uh, it, I understand that sometimes it takes a while for the Badgers to establish themselves when it comes to running the football, when it comes to their defense, but they need to get on it a little bit earlier. So I think that's something to take away for Bobby Ingram and his offense and see if he can start a little bit faster in next week's game. Um, because, yeah, that was that was rough. Um, and then they kind of got going. It was 17 nothing by halftime, and it was smooth sailing the rest of the way. Tim Brando's jump around was as cringy as it's going to get. He, like, humped his uh, co-host, Spicer Tillman. Uh, that was just awful. I don't know. I don't know what we were doing there. Um, I, I get it. You want to jump around. You want to be in the fun. Brando, big college guy, loves, you know, the environment of college sports. But, yeah, humping your humping your uh, color analyst is not necessarily was something I have in the cards. But some could say it's guys being dudes. I, I'm just not. <laughs> just not, not for me. Uh, would not be something I would do when I'm doing jump around. I would just kind of jump straight up versus thrusting myself into somebody. People were concerned about the secondary. I saw that. Uh, I always like reading Jim Polzine's uh, Twitter replies when he's like, thoughts on the game. And there were a couple people in there who were concerned about the secondary. I don't know if I see it. I mean, Zach Armstead or Axted, he was 16 of 24 with 180 yards. It wasn't like he was necessarily carving up the Badgers. He had two interceptions. He averaged 7.8 yards a pass. So it wasn't like he was really finding guys deep. Yeah, there were a couple deep passes here and there, but they're, I mean, look, it's, it's football, right? You're going to have, you're going to have those moments. I realize the guy that's coming in for Washington state, I don't have his name on me, uh, but he's, he's going to, he's going to be good. Like he's, he's a good, good quarterback. He's coming out of incarnate word. He has an absolute cannon for an arm. Cameron Ward, that's the name. So he's going to, he's going to test the Badgers. Like no question about it. Like Cameron Ward can definitely be a guy that will test what Wisconsin's going to do. But at the same time, I think I think it's a little bit overblown to be worried about the secondary. I understand it. They're brand new. They're fresh. But I, I don't think I am pushing a panic button yet with this secondary. Moving on to the Milwaukee Brewers. Bad weekend, but weekend that turned good, I guess, on Monday. So the Milwaukee Brewers did not have a great weekend against the Arizona Diamondbacks. The Arizona Diamondbacks are kind of having a run that we saw with the Detroit Tigers last season, which is ironic since the Tigers are one of the worst teams in baseball again, where it's a team that's not going to make the playoffs, but they're showing so much promise that next year they're going to be a contender. They're going to make the NL West even tougher because they have a bunch of young talent and it's shining through. And the Diamondbacks had come into the matchup with the Brewers, I think winning like 8 of 10 or something like that. And they had been playing really good baseball. And sure enough, they were able to put it to the Brewers. Uh, Brewers barely scored any runs besides Saturday with facing Mad Bomb, who's at the tail end of his career at this point. I think Arizona has to look for either a trade or just buy out and eat his contract and let the young guys flourish because Madison Baumgartner is washed. Like Madison Baumgartner is done as a pitcher. Like I do not see anything left for Madison Baumgartner. I'd be very surprised if Madison Baumgartner is on this roster next year. But other guys not named Madison Baumgartner dummied the Brewers this weekend. And a lot of Brewers fans kind of felt like all hope was lost. Again, 
they weren't able to gain any games on the Cardinals. I think we've all sort of admitted to ourselves that the NL Central is not going to happen for the Milwaukee Brewers, that it has to be wild card or bust, given the fact that the St. Louis Cardinals are on an absolute tear in the second half of the year. And I I do think that that matters, right? Like, I, I think you can't disqualify what the St. Louis Cardinals are doing even though the Brewers have sort of collapsed. Like I, 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 like I said, like I, I get it. I get what people can say, right? But at the same time, I do, I do sort of wonder, like, how can, how can you really be mad when the Cardinals are 26 and 7? They lost, to, they lost against the Nationals for red hot, break up the Nats. So now 26 and 8. But like they are red, red hot and. It's just unfortunate. Even if the Brewers were 500, they would have still lost games to the Cardinals, and they still wouldn't be they still wouldn't be leading this division. They'd be in a better spot. They would be kind of right at the wild card if they were 500. But it's not necessarily apples to apples, right? So there is that. But in the positive, so they win on they win on Monday. They have a good win. I mean, they're down three nothing. Hauser looked like same old Hauser. He kind of battled back. Credit to him. Probably the best I've seen Adrian Hauser in a long time after that slow start. Like, you got to work on those first couple innings for him. And then he, he kind of was able to be, you know, the Adrian Hauser I think we all expect him to be and held the game at three. And the Brewers were able to kind of bat, battle back, chip back. And then Victor Carantini hits a three-run homer. And the Brewers are able to get out to six to three. And their bullpen wasn't exactly the best. Taylor Rogers struggled. He had to bring Devin Williams in for a four-out save. But he got it done. And to me, the Devin Williams for out save was a message kind of sent by Craig Council of like, all right, we knew how much this game mattered and we weren't ready to fuck around. This to me was the best I've seen Council manage the bullpen, I think, really all really all season. Like, I understand Craig Council waits until the end to do this, which is infuriating as a fan because I think there are so many times where there are winnable games where Council's worried about sort of load managing. But I guess this is why you have Craig Tember. This is why you do it. Um, because you used Brad Boxberger for the sixth inning and it was clean. He actually really good stuff for Boxberger. I've been very critical of him. And then you had Taylor Rogers, or no, Matt Bush in the seventh. Then you had Rogers in the eighth. And then Williams comes in in the eighth and then goes the four, four outs. Now, hopefully you can get some breathing room, maybe blow out the Rockies today and not have that. But today, but Monday was finally a good day for the Brewers. And it makes you think like, maybe things are starting to turn. Now, I've wondered that before, and I've gotten just smacked on the nose like a dog who's done something wrong. But yeah, you gained a game on the Cardinals for the first time in like 19 days, right? Which is crazy. Um, So I think the Brewers are now like seven back of the Cardinals. And you gained a half game on the Philadelphia Phillies. You gained a full game on the San Diego Padres. You're now also one loss away from being right at where the Padres are. Padres having to deal with that same red-hot Diamondbacks team, and that's very helpful. And they were able to beat Blake Snell, a really good performance from Ryan Nelson. Now, who do the Phillies have this week? So, and that's basically what you'll be watching. You'll be watching that the rest of the week, you know, and maybe the Nationals come in hot and are able to help out the Brewers even more uh, this week against the Cardinals. But getting one game, I think, is really important. And then you have Phillies are, let's see here. Phillies are home against the Marlins. Uh, the Marlins have not been playing good baseball, um, really have struggled in the second half. Uh, so that's unfortunate, right? Uh, that's definitely not the team you want to see uh, for for Philadelphia. But who knows? Maybe the Marlins are able, able to get a game on them and the Brewers are able to kind of capitalize. You know, Phillies are only 8-5 and five against the Marlins this season. But yes, this 
this is kind of an important week. I said it on a recap on Tabby Keg Sports or on both Instagram and TikTok where it's like, you have to win these games, right? You have the Rockies, you have two against the Giants, Giants playing a little bit better, and then you have the Cincinnati Reds. And so you have a lot of baseball this week, a lot of opportunity to gain ground and put yourself in good position before you have another two against the Cardinals and then the Yankees and Mets. And you're pretty much home the rest of the way. Like you're gonna go to St. Louis for a couple, but you are pretty much home the rest of the regular season, which is an absolute godsend for a Brewers team that is nine games over 500 on the road, at home. And so they've played really well at home and and that's feeling good. Now you're back to 41% in playoffs. They're down to 38%. And that's also a good lesson on why you can't take that too seriously. But yeah, two two games back of the Padres. We'll see what happens. It's going to be a race, man. I hope you guys are ready for it. I know a lot of people are out of the Brewers. I know Lorenzo Cain's comments were concerning. I want to do a bigger thing on that. I want to, I mean, the Packers stuff is really important this week. And so maybe that's more of a Mitch topic when we have tapping the keg. But yeah, it's, uh, those, those comments were great. Um, if you missed it, he basically called out the organization, similarly to Eric Lauer. So I do wonder, you know, change probably happening this offseason but what does that change exactly look like so i think that's oh it sounds like a great tabby the keg topic so we'll we'll save that for mitch and i on thursday's show all right lastly i don't have a ton of time because we've went long um which is great um i love good good long podcasts especially when i'm late to give them to you uh but as for people who don't like college football so i don't mean to like fansplain i don't mean to so, and I'd say fans playing, you know, Dr. Pepper, not a sponsor, uh, but if they want to, uh, they can definitely slide right in, but not to fan gatekeep. I think that's more of it. Like gatekeeping fandom. I had a bunch of friends this week tell me how much they don't like college football. And I just can't believe it. Like, I, I just don't understand it. Like I, I get it in a sense of, if you're like, I'm too busy, I have kids, like I don't have the time to watch college football. I fully understand that. Right. I, I've heard Bill Simmons talk about how, him as a fan as he got older he had less time to you know watch everything and i know that whenever i have kids and who knows as a home builder may or home owner maybe i will have less time to watch different things in, in the in the years to come that said i don't know man like college football was so good this weekend and i realized that not every weekend is going to be like this but you had great games up and down the slate like each each window had a great game and that's so hard to do right you do not see that happen very often but that's what makes college football so special is it's not just one game right nfl you usually have one game but you always can't watch every game like you don't have that availability to you and the unpredictable nature of college football you know leads to just things that are so unexpected and mistakes that are made because not everybody's a professional athlete And so there are things that happen in in college that you would never see happen in the NFL. And that's to me is why it's something that's a little different, but it's so much fun. And it's more fun than college basketball. It's to me the best college sport. There's nothing close. And I think that there's a case to be made that watching a full day of college football is almost better than watching a full day of NFL. And this weekend was a great example of it. The NC State ECU game gets close. ECU has a chance to tie, go to overtime. They miss an extra point. UNC Appalachian State. Appalachian State goes for two, trying to win the game. They onside kick it. 
North Carolina picks it off, runs it for a touchdown. They need that touchdown because App State scores again. They can't get the two-point conversion to tie. 63-61, absolutely absurd. Houston UTSA was so much fun. That was a great game. That that one we had on pretty much the whole you know second half into overtime. Then you had Florida Utah, which was great. Um, prevented us from going out because Murph was bummed. He lost his Utah bet. That's fine. Um, I didn't need to go out. Uh, Ohio State and Notre Dame, while not necessarily fun, I think it, you know Ohio State imposed their will late in that one. But you still had a game that you thought could be a blowout. And it actually brought some excitement. And it, it held. And then you had LSU Florida State on Sunday, which might have been even crazier. The block extra point, uh, the untimed down. I mean, Florida State kind of getting back to prominence. LSU sort of in that same spot they've been the last couple of years. I mean, goddamn. How can you not have fun? Like, how can you not be romantic about that weekend? I understand if you don't have time. But if you sat down in one part of college football, like if you were like, I was doing shit with the kids all afternoon, and then at night I was able to watch Utah, Florida, Ohio State, Notre Dame, you would have had a great time. Or if I was tied up Saturday, I was at the lake, but I came home Sunday and I was able to watch LSU, Florida State, you would have had a fucking great time. And like, that's the part I just don't get. Like, I don't understand why there is like an annoyance of maybe the sloppiness. Like, I, I guess if I were a nitpick, one of the things that annoyed me, I guess, if I'm if I'm going to be that person, I think watching LSU, Florida State, there was so much zone read. Like, everything felt like a zone read. So I can understand it. The lack of creativity, I, I, I guess I get that, okay? But my God, it was so fun. Even Thursday night was awesome. Like, Thursday night, you had the backyard brawl, which was decided on pick six. You had the Purdue-Penn State game, which Purdue goes up on a, I think a fumble return or an interception return. Penn State comes down and snakes that game out. Friday, you had Old Dominion knock off Virginia Tech. How the fuck did people not have fun this weekend? So, I, I don't know. If you are someone who doesn't like college football, I will put together a viewing guide for you. So, let me know. Hit me up, Twitter, Instagram. Maybe we'll just do it in general. Maybe I will help the people out next week um, for Friday's show and just be like, all right, for the college football haters, for those who are not or just like Badger fans but nothing else, maybe we'll put together a little guide for you so you guys know what you need to be watching. All right, that does it for today's podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed this. I will be back tomorrow, uh, myself there. Uh, Mitch and me, Packer Preview on for Thursday. I don't know if Shaken and I are going to get to it. He's busy with work, so I might have him just submit his songs, and maybe I'll do it as part of a segment on Friday uh, for you guys to listen to um, as Shannon is uh, working a lot. So I don't want to uh, stress the guy too out. So it's like, oh, we did one and we're not doing another one. Uh, it's, you know, sometimes it's just how the schedule crumbles. Probably should have thought about that um, when we approach this. That's okay. Uh, we will uh, we'll go forward. So, all right, we will see you guys uh, tomorrow uh, with another Daily Tap. Uh, we'll we'll pro- talk more Packers stuff, get ourselves ready more for Packers-Vikings, and then we will uh, chat with Mitch and I next week. So look forward to that. All right, or next day. All right, see you guys. Take care. Bye.